Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Always good to learn a good song, especially when it has great words. You are God alone. It fits well in what our passage is this morning as you turn to Luke chapter 10. Verses 38 through 42, we are finally going to close out Luke chapter 10. I want to bring your attention as you're turning there. It's called distracted and anxious. I bring, want to bring your attention to three people. First is George. George has been working over 50 hours each week for the past year due to employee shortages at his company. Overworked, tired. And frustrated, he looks forward to Saturday's afternoons when he can finally sit down and watch college football and take a nap. However, just as he plops down to his chair, turns on the television to the game, his three children keep attempting or interrupting him, asking him to come out and play outside. Annoyed at their constant pleas, he barks at his wife to take care of them so that he can just finally relax. Then there's Tina. Tina is a stay-at-home mom with three children. Recently, she took on a part-time job to help with the finances. However, she she, uh, still takes responsibility for all of the household chores, getting the kids ready for school and helping them with their homework. She is frustrated that her husband doesn't seem to appreciate her or help her out when he comes home. She begins to resent his presence when he does come home and responds bitterly, to him when he does talk to her. Monica, our last, is a high school senior. She's taking five AP classes that demand so much of her time and attention that it's hard for her to keep up with all of the other other after-school activities that she needs to beef up her chances at getting in that dream university, that dream college. She's been having trouble sleeping and concentrating that her studies because she's so anxious and distracted and filling out the necessary forms for college and whether or not she will be accepted. I would think that many of you this morning can relate and sympathize with these three scenarios above. Maybe even finding yourself with distractions, annoyances, and anxiety in your life today. You might be struggling with resentment, bitterness, and frustration that leading to feelings of uh, hurt feelings and anger and damaged relationships. This past year has been difficult for everyone, hasn't it? A quick look at the news informs us that things are not going, though, to get better soon. Whether it's COVID restrictions, supply shortages, high gas prices as well as inflation, it's rising. It's causing us to be concerned and worried about our future. And that's all we can think about is, what about tomorrow? Will I have enough tomorrow? And some of you, that's a real life. You, you came to church knowing not, not knowing whether or not you have enough gas to go to work tomorrow or to do your duties tomorrow. So we do what we usually do in these types of circumstances. We work harder and longer We cope by medicating ourselves with pleasure experiments and we seek distractions from our problems. 
Some of the distractions are benign and innocent, while others are malignant and harmful to us. Too many times we allow our problems and issues, especially when it relates to those that we love and to to grow and to fester, taking it out on the ones that we love. And as we come to our passage today, Luke shares the story of two sisters, one who reacts out of bitterness and resentment due to distractions and anxiety that she's undergoing as she serves as a hostess to Jesus and his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, since we took a couple of weeks off in our study of Luke, I want to review just a little bit of the context of this passage as we're going into it. Jesus, as we saw from chapter 10, at the beginning of chapter 10, is beginning his final journey to Jerusalem for his divine appointment to bear the wrath of God for the forgiveness of sin. Knowing that his time is short, Jesus is spending his time teaching his disciples what it means to be a disciple of Christ. To explain further the meaning and the demands of the kingdom of God. And as we learned earlier that to be a true, genuine disciple of Christ, even today, requires an uncompromising commitment to deny oneself, to pick up their cross, meaning to surrender all your rights, and to follow him. This decision to follow Jesus is not to be taken lightly, but one is called to count the cost. It is more than saying the sinner's prayer or asking Jesus into your heart. It's an uncompromising commitment. A disciple is one who loves God with all of his heart, soul, and might, and his neighbor as himself. Jesus had just finished demonstrating through the parable of the Good Samaritan that we saw several weeks ago who our neighbor is and what does it truly mean to love God and to love our neighbors. And the wrongness of trying to justify ourselves in that endeavor. In essence, Jesus is teaching his disciples, as you and I are moving through this next portion of Luke, what a disciple should know, what a disciple should be, and what a disciple should do as they're walking to Jerusalem. So as we come to today's passage, we are now introduced to two women with two different priorities that leads Jesus to once again to come and settle dispute that is creating conflict among believers. So with that, let's take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. I believe it's here on the monitor as well. But again, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you need one, please let me know. I want to make sure that you have a Bible that you can take home with you. So in verse 38 of Luke 10, we read now, As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. You may want to underline that. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her father. Give us wisdom. We are now about to take a portion of scripture written 2,000 years ago. An event that happened in a land far from us in a culture much removed from ours. But then it was written to Gentile readers to encourage them to have confidence that Jesus is the Lord. And now we're going to take it and bring it 2,000 years now and 
look at it and interpret it as what it was meant then and bring the application to us. So we ask that you would give us wisdom, give us clarity of thought. We thank you for, the, for your word that is true, that is real, that is sufficient, that is clear, that is necessary. Lord, that we may understand it. And Lord, that we may respond to the Spirit's work in our hearts this morning. Keep us free from distractions ourselves. Lord, bring our anxieties and our troubles that, that, that we bring in with us. I pray that you may calm them, that we may hear only the Spirit's voice, that we too may see the one thing that is necessary that cannot be taken away. Above all, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke introduces a family that's very familiar to most Christians. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus resurrects from the dead in the Gospel of John. They were personal friends of Jesus. They were close to him and the twelve. In this instance, Jesus and the twelve have stopped by for a visit that includes a meal. Now you can imagine how this would be. This is, this is not just, just uh, two people dropping by. This, this is 15 or more people that are dropping by. For just, hey, can we, you got something to eat? Mind if we hang out for a little bit? Now, you can imagine, in California, obviously, that doesn't work. Now, you might see that somewhere in the Midwest or in the South, but that's not very much happening here. You can imagine the stress that would immediately have on someone. Now, you may recall, though, that hospitality was an important function and responsibility, not only in the Jewish tradition, but also for Christians. Scripture has much to say about practicing hospitality uh, with other believers, traveling evangelists who would travel around the country, and as a tool for evangelizing. And here at OVBC, for the last two and three years, we have encouraged each other to make it a priority in our own lives. I believe it's a uh, um, it's a, it's a tool of discipleship that you and I, a discipline, I should say, that you and I ought to practice hospitality. And, and many of you have taken that to heart and are doing that. And I encourage you, opening up our homes, not only to each other, but then also to those that are unbelievers, to our neighbors and coworkers, is an important way in which we can share the gospel. From Luke's description, it seems that Mary seems to take the responsibility for the task at hand. She's the hostess, and she begins to make the necessary preparations. However, her sister Mary, instead of helping out as as one would expect one to do, she takes a seat at the foot of Jesus. So you can imagine what's going on there. And she just listens to Jesus' teaching. Now, there's two phrases that describes Mary's action that needs more attention. And that's that phrase, she sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. To sit at Jesus' feet and it indicates her recognition that Jesus is a teacher, one with authority. Three times, Luke, in this passage, Jesus is identified by the word Lord. That's a, a, a title of address to a person of higher uh, uh, status. She's recognizing him as a rabbi, as a teacher, one with authority. And that she sat at his feet and listened indicates that she herself intended to be a disciple along with the 12 and anyone else that was there to hear Jesus speak. And that was unusual for a woman to sit at the feet, especially publicly in the first century Judaism, to be accepted as a teacher 
or to be accepted by a teacher as a disciple. It was very odd that a teacher would allow that to happen. But Jesus doesn't reject her, but he accepts and affirms her decision as we look at this passage. Luke writes about the contrast between Martha and Mary. Martha there takes the role of the hostess. You know, the hostess with the most is whatever. She's going to take it all on and she's going to serve Jesus and it's going to be the most wonderful thing that he ever has. And I suppose that there might be some pressure upon her. This isn't just some ordinary Joe. This is Jesus, their treasured friend. She recognizes that there's something special about Jesus. In John, she's the one who says, if you would have been here, Jesus, my my brother would still be alive. But here, she's just focused on being a hostess. Mary, though, takes the role of disciple. She knows that there's work to be done, but she's taking advantage of the time of Jesus being there and sets at his feet and says, I want to hear what the master, the Lord, has to say. Now Luke continues his story by noting that poor Martha was distracted with much serving. Now any mother or wife can understand this dilemma. For many, this is an everyday occurrence. One can imagine what she was going through in preparing a meal for over 15 people. There's dishes that need to be cleaned. She needs dishes to be set out. There's food that needs to be cooked, boiled or baked. Some of you ladies are already experiencing nightmares with the thoughts of Thanksgiving dinner that's coming up in 11 days, by the way. She's probably stressing out over the question of whether or not she has enough to feed everyone, plus putting out plates that even match. She's described as distracted because she was anxious about all the work it took in serving Jesus. This is normal. Many of you experience this maybe every day when you're at work or when you're at home. All the stuff that is going on. Aren't we like that? We're, we're even taught that, you know, we have the to-do list, right? Or we have our phone that gives us all these reminders. And we keep these calendars. And, and sometimes you ever find yourself not getting work done because you're planning about the work you got to do later. And you can't even focus on what's going on now. Well, this anxiety is causing her to raise an accusation Not just against Mary, but did you see it? She raises an accusation and accuses Jesus of not being concerned about her. Her frustration at her sister is demonstrated when she she shouts, or not shouts, but when she finally then confronts Jesus. Look again at her statement in verse 40. She comes into Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone she's accusing Jesus of not caring of ignoring her plight she then says and tells Jesus what he needs to do tell her then to help me again somewhat understandable theologian Kenneth Wust uh, describes Martha's actions as actually bursting in upon Jesus as he's teaching and assuming a stance over him. That's, that's kind of what the Greek is kind of uh, parlaying there in, as we read it in English. It's she's busting in as he's sitting down and teaching and saying, don't you care what's going on? Tell her to help me. Can you imagine doing that to Christ? But that's what her frustration and her distraction and her anxiety is causing her to do. 
She questions whether Jesus cares that she's been left to do all the work. You can almost imagine that every time Martha is walking into the room, maybe putting plates on the table or bringing in food or doing something, that she's walking and she's casting a bitter glance at her sister and maybe at Jesus saying, look at her just sitting there. Who does she think she is? She might even have wondered if Jesus even looked and took notice and cared about her. Doesn't he see as he's teaching all the work I'm doing and it's all by myself? But then her heart begins to ponder Jesus as he continues to teach without stopping to tell Mary to get up and help. And all of a sudden in her heart is not just an attitude against her sister Mary, but her attitude is against Christ. She begins to complain about him. She begins to wonder about him like many of us do when life is pressing down upon us. Does God see me? Does God hear me? Does he know my situation? Does he know, doesn't he know the struggle I have? He knows how much money I have in the bank account. He knows how little I make. How in the world am I supposed to stretch that further it's very difficult we might recall in Exodus as you and I studied that several years ago that the Hebrew children who now were slaves for several decades if not hundreds of years are also crying out has the Lord forgotten us here in Egypt has, does he not hear our cry? Does he not remember the promises that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? The most wonderful words there in Exodus is that the Lord heard, the Lord remembered, and the Lord acted. But here Mary is wondering, what do I got to do to get help around here? With resentment filling her heart, And frustration building within her her heart, she finally confronts Jesus with this accusation and with an order. Mary has an expectation for Jesus to settle her dispute with her sister with a word of affirmation of her feelings. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Jesus, you need to affirm that. And also with an acceptance of her charge of emotional neglect from Jesus and Mary. She has some strong feelings here, much of what we hear today in the world. They they want affirmation. They want acknowledgement of their pain and affirmation of what they, they feel. However, much to her surprise, we might think that Jesus should take her side. However, much to her surprise and to ours, Jesus instead gently rebukes Martha. Not Mary. Martha, you know, you're right. Mary, would you go help your sister? Uh, Judas, would you, would you go? I mean, you're, you're going to die anyway. Just, just go, and go help Martha. Well, you, don't, you don't really need it. You're not, you, don't, you don't like what I'm saying anyway. Could you just go tell Martha? You know, he knew who was the one who was going to betray him. I'm being flippant, but you understand what I'm saying. Jesus has 12 or so many. Why don't somebody go help her? We all want to eat, right? It's almost done, right? Don't you like that when someone says, is it almost ready, but they're not actually willing to help in any form or fashion? Wives, do not be, don't, don't, don't be elbowing your husband. Just pray for him. 
Look at Jesus' reply in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Boy, is that us not today? We're sitting here, but we're wondering all the things that we have to do when we get home or this week. By the way, this should be a short message, but you know how it always tends out to be. You might be distracted about that and anxious. How long is he going to go? The Bible here says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Here Jesus gently remarks that he understands exactly what Martha is feeling. Jesus exactly knows what's going on in her heart. And he points out the conditions of her heart. He, he's saying it just not for us, but also for Mary, Mary Mar, or Martha, excuse me. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and distracted. You're troubled. He continues in verse 42. He's recognizing that there's a lot of things going on right now. And she feels overwhelmed, but he says, but only one thing or but one thing is necessary. Now that should circle, be circled in our Bible. And think, Okay, so what is that one thing that is necessary? He goes on to say that Mary has chosen the good portion. You may want to underline that as well. Which will not be taken away from her. In other words, I'm not taking this away from her. And what, what she's receiving right now will never be taken away. It is for eternity. The, the meal that you're making is going to be consumed. The plates that you're having are, are, are putting out are going to be washed and eventually destroyed. But what she's receiving now is for eternity. Jesus does recognize and confirm her anxiety and worry, but he's pointing to something much greater. See, many times we get that focus, right? That, that tunnel vision. And all that you and I see is the problem, the issues, the things that are keeping us distracted from what is important. And, and they're so big because they're in our, they're in our eye like that. And we're, and we're forgetting the beauty and the wonders of all the things that are going on. Beside it. In reality, both of the sisters are distracted in this story. Let me say it again. Both sisters are truly distracted in this story. Martha was serving, but Mary with Jesus and his teaching. He, she's distracted with the good portion, the thing that is necessary, the thing that will not be taken away. Jesus is not pointing out that Mary is being inconsiderate or lazy or selfish, which we might take from that. Instead, he's pointing out that she has chosen something much greater than serving to focus on. And let me say this is everything in our life is a choice and we are choosing. We may not choose our situation, but we are choosing how we may react in that situation. Her focus, Mary speaking of Mary, her focus is on Jesus. She's sitting at his feet. She's looking up. Her ears are open. She's in tuned with what Jesus is saying. She is bringing it in. She's pondering it in her heart. 
Sadly, if you and I were to go back and look at Martha's remark to Jesus, you see that she references me, me. Don't you see that I'm doing it by myself? Tell her to help me. We usually make everything about us. And that is what Martha is doing her. Her attention is on herself and the burden of carrying the load alone. Now we, we may debate whether that was good as well. But in this case, she's so distracted that she's missing the most important thing that's happening there. Mary's focus is humbly His focus is on humbly sitting at the feet of Jesus, assuming the stance of a disciple, willing and ready to learn. The reality of this situation is that Martha is so distracted with being the perfect host that she's neglecting Jesus. See, she thinks that she's serving Jesus, but in essence, she's serving herself. She's actually neglecting Jesus. She's actually ignoring him. Instead of her accusation, do you not care? It's really her that does not care about the Savior. Now, this passage, before we go any further, this passage is not centered on service versus worshiping. Okay? Uh, Both are called for for the disciple. Professor Thomas Schreiner notes that discipleship involves learning and listening, but it also invites uh, quietness as well as serving. However, Martha is more concerned and upset that she is working alone rather than being upset and concerned that she could not sit at Jesus' feet. It's not like she's saying, well, why can't I sit there with Mary? Or why can't we exchange places? It seems like she has no desire to do so. Serving, let me get this. Serving is important. As disciples, we are called to serve as the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. A disciple is one who serves. We are called to serve one another. However, King David sings in Psalm 51.17, as you see here in the monitor, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Keep that up there just a little bit, Ben. And this is in references, is Paul, or I'm sorry, uh, David here is after his sin with Bathsheba. He wants to be right with God. And he says it's not sacrifices or services that, that, that you're looking for, but you're looking for a broken and contrite heart. <clears throat> when you look at Martha, do you see a broken and contrite heart? As she sits there or stands there in front of God? No. It's me. Help me. Look at what I'm doing. You don't care for me. And so as we look, service is important. But in the end, our service must be buttressed or found a foundation of a broken and contrite heart. And this happens when we focus on Christ and not ourselves in our circumstances. Instead of being distracted and full of anxiety and and a critical spirit that's fed by bitterness and resentment, Martha should have recognized 
that the most important fact in that room was that Jesus was the treasure in the room, not the meal, not the serving. Now, before we begin to judge Marcia or Martha, Marcia, 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 before we be judge Martha too harshly or to begin to justify her actions, we need to recognize that we all suffer from this same problem. We might call it Martha-itis. We find ourselves distracted by busyness, distracted by pleasure, by work, by family obligations, along with a host of other things that keep us from focusing what is the most important. So let's go back and consider the problems that were facing George and Tina and Monica that we discussed earlier. They too were distracted by the busyness of life. They were annoyed at the interruptions and they were filled with anxiety about their future. Now this is normal, by the way. Many of us suffer from this. We struggle with this. We all struggle with the same issues. However, like Martha, those three allowed the problem to be bigger than the people or the persons in their life. George neglects his children. They were an annoyance to him in regard to his watching football and needing some rest. They wanted his attention and his love. But he chose to rest and re- he chose rest and relaxation over interaction with his own kids. Tina, though understandably tired, allowed herself to, neg- herself to neglect her, her husband and considered him as part of the problem. She allowed bitterness and resentment to block their intimacy and communication. Monica, in her distraction to attend the best college, neglected to enjoy her high school years and all the joys and the memories that are attached to it. Now let me ask you, is this happening in your own life? Are you finding yourself distracted and anxious about the things going on in your life? You believe you're devoted to your family by working hard, by doing all the things that the world says you must do to provide for them, but it comes Truly at the sacrifice of spending quality times with your spouse, with your children, and even with God. We all have choices to make. Remember the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. And at the risk of being redundant, I've shared with you over the last few months or so, that the heart consists of our thoughts, the things that we think. It consists of our affections, the things that we love, the things that we're passionate about, <clears throat> and consists of our will, the choices that you and I make. So here's the question. Do you choose God over all things in your thoughts and in your affections and in your choices in life? Is this evident in the way you work that you love God in those three ways? Is it evident in the way you spend your time, in the way you spend your money? If I would gauge you just by my own failures, is that many of us are too distracted and anxious about the things that truly don't matter in this world, and we're neglecting the one thing that is necessary. And what is that? That's the good portion that Jesus speaks of in this passage The good portion that Jesus speaks of that Mary chose was focusing on the words and person 
of Christ. And let me say, even in your work, even in your striving in life, you can do that while focusing on Christ, the works and the words and person of Christ. To be honest, I don't know how anyone can truly be a good employee without that or a good employer or a good husband or wife or parent. Because that's the very thing that makes us who God wants us to be in relation to those that are in our life and our interaction in this, in this world. Scripture calls us to choose the good portion. And that's what I'm here this morning. It's time for you to choose the good portion. Are you choosing the good portion? Here are just a few examples of Scripture. Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my light or my lot. What does that scripture say? In other words, I don't care what my circumstances are. I will not be distracted and anxious because you are my good portion. Psalm 73.26 My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. Psalms 119 verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your works. Again quoting Thomas Schreiner again here on the monitor. He writes speaking of service. That all service must flow out of one's relationship with the Lord. And that all service must be rooted in the joy of knowing God as one's treasure and one's pleasure. That was not Martha's treasure. The greatest treasure, the pearl of great price, was setting in her living room. She was too as distracted and anxious about other things that she didn't recognize it. To the point that she even accuses the treasure of not caring for her. The issue is, was she caring for him? Now, serving, get this. You may want to make this a note. Serving in the church or serving God is not about validating our own self-worth. Let me say that again. Serving is not about validating your own self-worth. Parenting is not about validating your own self-worth. Working, employing is not about validating your own self-worth. Nothing in life is about validating validating your own self-worth, which I'm afraid has become the norm for many of us. All believers here this morning should come to church ready to serve and use their spiritual gifts to build one another up, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. You are called to service this morning in your worship. It is part of your worship. But our service should not distract us from the main reason that we are here. And that's to hear from God's word. To proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And submit to his rule in our lives and hearts. You and I are called to make much of Christ. Why? Because as we read this morning, he is worthy. It's sad I was watching a service this morning from back home. And this church is undergoing some very major problems. And it's breaking my heart. And as I'm watching this message, it just broke my heart. 
is they justified in defending themselves by making much of themselves. In that passage, in that service, they did not make much of Christ. Let me ask you, in your serving, in your parenting, in your marriage, are you making much of Christ? If you're not, you don't have a good portion. You may have a good marriage. You may have a good family. But you're missing the good portion. The most important thing is knowing Christ. Please come and serve. We need you to do that. We can use your help in many things. Come into the service with two things in mind at least. One is I want to hear from God today. And then I'm going to serve someone today. And that serving may be just giving them a smile and a hug and say, how are you this morning? It may be, hey, is there any way that I can help you today? Hey, I got, I got a stimulus check. Is there anyone here that needs some help? Uh, by the way, I didn't get a stimulus check. But if you are needing help, please come to me and I will do what I can to do so. John Piper asked that one time when he was talking about when uh, several years ago when we all got that big stimulus, I think, I mean, five, six thousand dollars, something like that. He asked, before you spent that money, did you ask, how, ask God how you might use it for his glory? We don't, we don't think about that. We are called to make much of Christ, for he is the one who is worthy. Unfortunately, listen to this Mary's serving caused her to be distracted and blinded to the good portion. And I don't want anyone here that's here this morning or that watches me later. I don't want you to miss the good portion. I don't want you to be distracted from it. I don't want you to be blinded by that which is the good portion. Let us be warned and committed to not repeating this error. It's so easy to do in this world of busyness and distraction. One pastor, uh, Jay Lingen Duncan, remarks that we live in the busiest culture in the history of the world. We are constantly, consider this, we are constantly surrounded by and bombarded by busyness. And you know what? Most of our busyness, get this, is superficial busyness. I think our forefathers, who were far less busy, got a lot more done than we get done because we spend so much time doing superficial stuff. Stuff with no eternal value. Some, most stuff that has no temporary value. But we're busy all the time. Is there anyone here that would say, man, I'm not busy at all? There might be a few of you. God bless you. But for the most of us, we're saying we're busy. There's stuff going on all the time. Now, you're going to see that he said that he wrote this several years ago. He says there are beepers going off and phones going off and iPads going off and iPods going off and cell phones going off and there's stuff going on all the time, are we not? It it seems that's our life. And that busyness is an enemy, by the way, busyness is an enemy discipleship, is he saying here. Busyness is an enemy to discipleship because it keeps our eyes focused on the multitude of less important things and we forget we forget the most important of things I'm afraid he's correct in C.S. Lewis's book called the screw tape letters maybe you might have read it or heard of it it's a book of fiction 
but it captures the conversations and the, and the lessons of a younger demon, demon, excuse me, being discipled by an older demon. How to paralyze, distract, and to mess up the Christian life. The older demon teaches them that one of the best themes of the, de- of the devil is to keep people distracted with all sorts of things. He goes on with a whole list of things. It can be keeping them busy with work. It could be keeping them distracted with entertainment. It could be being distracted with family events and family things, uh, uh, things that go on. Or it could be just keeping distracted about nothing at all, like TikTok. As long as they are too distracted to focus on Jesus. Just scroll. Just like. Just look. And we are so distracted and we're missing the good portion. And then all of a sudden, our lives are a mess. And then we look to God and say, you're not concerned with me. Help me out. Because we've left the good portion. Though this is a work of fiction, the screw tape letters, it aptly, it aptly demonstrates a tool of the devil to keep us preoccupied, to be busy, to be distracted, to be anxious. One writer notes that busyness has become a badge for many of us. When our schedules are packed, we tell others we're busy and our hearts ring with delight. Look how busy I am. While our children sit in the background just wanting to play ball or to sit with us. Where our wives or our spouses just feel neglected because we're too tired. And all of our best energies are gone before we even spent any time with them. I'm guilty of that. I go back and just think of my children, how many times I used ministry to distract me and keep me anxious about spending time with them. I've shared that before and I've shared that with them. It's the pain that sometimes I think. Now, they, that may be more so on my case than their case. You'll have to ask them on, the, on that. But we all have those nightmares, do we not? You see, we often busy ourselves with what we think we need. Jesus is clear. Only one thing is needed. And the Bible promises that as we pursue this one thing, everything else in our life will fall into place. As David writes in Psalms 46.10 here on the monitor, look, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Let me ask, in your busyness, in your distractions, in your life, are you exalting Christ at work, in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood? Or is it all about exalting you? Look how much I'm doing. Looking how much I've accomplished Look at how much I've obtained. So as we just continue, what is causing distraction and anxiety in your life? How is that leading you to make wrong decisions and leading you to choose things over and above the things of God and God himself? You need to ask that question. 
Pastor Tom Buck from Texas tweeted this out past Friday. Again, I'll put the quote on the monitor so you can read it. It says, when you're discouraged and depressed and feel like no one understands you or how you feel, don't throw a pity party. That's what Martha was doing. That's Martha Otis, right? Instead, read the Psalms and pray. The Psalms present life honestly and don't sugarcoat life's realities. Above all, they point you to the one we need most in this life. God. If your despair, your discouragement doesn't lead you to God, then it's leading you to something demonic. I don't use that word lightly. It's leading you to worship something other than God. Most likely yourself. By the way, pity party, low self-esteem is the other side of the coin of pride. Pride is one who exalts himself, lifts up himself, praises himself, but it's also self-pity and a poor spirit. It's the same, same coin, just different sides. All pride. And you and I need to put ourselves off the worship. Martha was worshiping herself. She was worshiping her service. There's too many times that we do that. So let me close by also reminding you just something simple. That any and all problems that you're facing, any task that you're having, whether it's at work or at home or in some other uh, thing that you're involved with, any issues that you might be facing are not more important than the person. We need to recognize that. Husbands, wives, Parents, make sure that you're making time for each other and time to sit down and listen to the good portion of Scripture together. Let's learn that together. Too often, we make our problems and we say, my, my wife is the enemy that I live within. And you're praying in precatory prom, uh, 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 prayers about your husband. The one I read yesterday or this morning is, or last night is, Lord, bust out his teeth. And you're saying, yeah, that's mine. But you and I need to recognize that God has called us to see that the problem is not our spouse. Remember, we see this in Ephesians, right? We wage not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The person in your life is more important than whatever the problem is, whatever the issue. Do not bitterness, resentment, anger fester in your heart. Scripture says, do not give a hold to the devil into your heart. Do not let the worries of this life choke out the joy of following Christ. He is the good portion. Let us never consider the gifts of God greater than the person of God. Let me close Philippians 4, a verse that everyone's familiar with. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Martha did not. He was there at hand right there in person, but still could not see it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and application or supplication, excuse me, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Your cry might be, Lord, do you care? Would you please help me? Promises this: the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's promise to those who are distracted, 
to those who are filled with anxious thoughts, to those that are blinded to the good portion, is turn your eyes upon Christ. Amen? Let us do so. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and uh, land, and I believe at this time. The rest, I would just ask for you to take a moment just to pause. Consider the words of Christ. And then would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit how you should respond. Are you preoccupied with the things of life? Are you struggling to see the good portion? If so, would you commit this morning? Maybe if you haven't met the good portion yet, you don't know Christ. If so, then I would ask you to come today, repent of your sin and turn towards him. We'd love to share with you how you too can know how you can have the good portion, the one thing that is necessary, the thing that cannot be taken away from you. Landon, Randy, and I would love to show you from Scripture how you too can know that you have salvation, eternal life being kept for us. If that's you today, please, today is the day of salvation. Come and let us know. We'd love to share with you how you too can know Christ. In any other way, we always turn to Him. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.